Hello and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a gaming podcast from PR Pros. I'm your host, Sam Mosier, for the week. Caitlin Redwing is unable to join us, but it's all good because we have a fantastic guest joining us this week, the game director and lead game designer at Sandor Studio, Thibaut Lugue. Uh, congrats, Tebow, on the recent launch of Lisfanga, the Time Shift Warrior. That will be the bread and butter of this week's episode. We'll be talking about the making of the game, the really cool story behind it, and what people can expect hopping in. Uh, it's available now on Steam and the Epic Game Store as of February 13th. Um, you know, quick disclaimer, we do work with the publisher of the game, Quantic Dream, and uh, who worked on the the publishing and marketing of the game, but this is just my second time getting to speak with you. So uh, very honored to get have a, like this full block of time to get to know more about the game. I'm a big fan. I keep pitching it to all of my friends as, do you like the combat of Hades? The, this is a very deep cut, but one of my favorite games of all time is Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time. Uh, and it has these puzzle-based sections where you play as Clank and you're creating clones of yourself. Uh, and then it has the speed-running hook of, of something, you know, to most recently come to mind that I really love, Neon White. Blend all of that together with a really cool mythical setting. Uh, and it's already one of my favorite games of the year. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> Devo, when we have a new guest, uh, we like to ask them a get-to-know-you question. And so especially... I like to ask game designers, what are your favorite games of all time? Yeah, uh, hello, thank you very much for having me. Um, man, yeah, this, this question, it's always this question. <laughs> Why this question? Why do I have to choose? Um, yeah, so my favorite games of all time. Um, I mean, it could be a very, very long, long list, uh, but <laughs> I'll try to, to keep it short. Um, I think... I can say without much trouble uh, things like uh, Witcher Three, mm. um, some of some special uh, Legend of Zelda, you know, uh, Minish Cap. Oh yeah. Um, what else? There's so many, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, more, more, more action-packed games. Um, I, I don't know. I, I play MMOs a lot. Maybe, maybe too much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really want to to mention uh, Final Fantasy as well. Um, maybe in the same vein, uh, I'll just go another game, uh, Warcraft Three, also, which was one of my first PC games. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it's pretty varied. Uh, never ask a game designer that their preferred games. It's going to be <laughs> one hour long. <laughs> I could keep going. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the, the the variety of answers. What are your what are your go to MMOs? Yeah, well, uh, WoW and fourteen. Nice. And so, with uh, you naming Final Fantasy, are you excited for Rebirth coming out in you know about a week from the time this episode is coming out? I might try it, but I didn't play any mainline story um, Final Fantasy games because I wasn't, uh, I didn't get PlayStation at all uh, mm. when I was growing up, so I never really, uh, you know, caught on. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'll try them when the three-parter is out because I keep hearing that it's supposed to be a three-parter, so I'm going to <laughs> wait until I can binge it because that's why, <laughs> that's why I watch series, that's why I, I play multiple games, things like that. So yeah, I'll, ju I'll just wait. I know it's going out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a lot of game. Even as somebody who is still working his way through uh, remake, uh, 
I'm sure combined when the full trilogy is out, it's going to be a, a 100 hour experience. Yeah, no, it's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I like especially leading with the what are your favorite games of all time? Because I think it'll lead pretty naturally into Lisfanga and the story behind it. Uh, but starting there with Lisfanga, I know I gave my little pitch about why I love the game so much. But for all those unfamiliar, what is Lisfanga the Time Shift Warrior? Yeah, so Lisfanga the Time Shift Warrior is a new spin on like the, the hack and slash, the action focus games, uh, mixing it with a uh, strategy game. So it's like 70% strategy and 30% action, pretty much. Um, what you do all the time is you're fighting enemies. Um, but how you're fighting is what's important. Uh, you're not fighting uh, just, you know, uh, pressing your main button that you spent hours making sure it deals bajillions damage. Uh, here you're uh, setting up a strategy and playing to the level um, uh, in a more, uh, you know, um, sort of like more of an, uh, an action RPG uh, in a more, um, like, what you would play in an adventure game, uh, more like there's no uh, loot, uh, there's no talent trees, uh, there's only some uh, skills that you can swap around that give you multiple tools, multiple ways of uh, approaching the levels, and that's uh, that's how I would define the game. And now the main feature of the game, of course, is uh, that you can go back in time a few moments, and when you do you create a clone of yourself and that will do exactly what you did before. So if you have a big arena, let's say, you have uh, monsters on the right, monsters on the left, monsters in the middle, so you will have to kill everything within the time limit. You can't do that, so you do bit by bit and each time you rewind time and your clones will be there to help you. Yeah, it's it's a very cool game. I uh, when we were first exposed to it, um, you know, from Quantic Dream in, in the lead up to the the launch campaign, uh, I remember like one of the first phrases thrown around was it, it's like playing co-op with yourself, which yeah. is just such a hell of a pitch for a game. Um, you know, I've it has elements, as I noted at the beginning of other things I love, but I've never seen it applied in this way. Like, you know, I love Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time and using that rewind mechanic to to fix mistakes i've made and you know i i mentioned a crack in time it you know i was listening to uh, the besties one of my favorite podcasts and they were and they were talking about this game and uh one of the hosts likened it to the lara croft top down um co-op games that came out like in the early days earlier days of like the playstation network and the xbox live arcade and how instead of that being a co-op experience you're just all of the players at once yeah. <laughs> or at least in combination. And so with that pitch idea, Thibaut, for those who, you know, many listening probably are not aware, this started as a student project. Uh, tell us a bit about that and how, the, what was the initial seed of Lisfanga that then, you know, will eventually get to became the game that is out now. Yeah, so it all started as a pitch for uh, an end-of-study student project. And as this project uh, came along, uh, we met uh, our editor for Blue Games, uh, which um, you know, which proposed us to to create uh, the studio with us and to finance us to make the game into a, a commercial game. Um, so when the student project was finished, uh, we began working on this one. Very nice. And so 
linking back to the starting get to know you question with your favorite games of all time when did you know that you wanted to get into game design was there were there particular titles that inspired you um particular titles maybe maybe not i mean i think it, it's a it's a whole you know um i started uh, my you know above school studies uh, with um general inform uh, informatic uh, studies with like websites and things like that and it wasn't working out great because you know i really didn't want to to do that i really wanted to get into computers because that's um that's what i mostly did you know i, I spent uh, most of my time on forums talking about games playing games um making maps for games and things like that but I went into this general informatics thing as sort of a default, you know, like, uh, yeah, the video games industry, it's too hard, it's too complicated to, to get into it. But yeah, it became evident that that's what I wanted to do. And I just went for it. Nice. And so in terms of the going for it, you studied at, how is it, is it, is it ISART? I, I know it's stylized as ISART, um, Digital Paris, um, is that how do you say the name of the school? Yeah, we say Isart. Isart. Uh, you know, you you chose the the game design track. Um, mm -hmm. I guess one of the things we like to do on this podcast is peel the curtain back a bit on the making of games, what these titles and the roles of making games are. How did you land on game design instead of say art design or other facets of um, development? that you that you could have gone down yeah well that's because um i'm bad at art like in general <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't i wanted to do that um and regarding programming and other aspects like sound and things like that i i wasn't really uh interested in that i was more interested in uh, making the the rules of the game creating the the gameplay and uh, things like that and this is why i i, I chose gd because that's the only way that you can really get specialized into it because unless you're making a game, uh, you know, yourself or with like one or two people, you're going to need to be very specialized. And I really wanted to get specialized into that. Very nice. So explaining that, um, you know, you were, you're the game director and lead game designer on these manga. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the, the lead game designer and game director on a title like these manga? Uh, so yeah, that that, that means um, providing a, a vision for the team to stick to and making sure that everything that's produced goes toward that, and you know circulating information, uh, directing the team, and things like that. And I also participated a lot as just game designing uh, and such. So for instance, I made uh, the attacks of the player. That's one of the things I did personally, um, and it was a, a pretty, pretty, pretty long, you know, uh, team effort of everyone. And my job was just to make sure that everyone knew where they were going. Nice. And how does that compare? I get now rewinding the clock back to the initial, uh, you know, start of this as uh, a student project at ESART. Uh, what had your development or game design experience been like before starting the student project which was also titled Lee Svanga. Yeah, so before the student project it was mostly uh well uh school projects and some personal solo side stuff. So it was 
quite a new a new thing. Maybe even at the, the student project bit, because it was it, it's the biggest project you can do in your studies. The end of study project, you are 13 on this production, and this was by far the biggest project we we did. We had all um, you know all jobs. We had uh, sound designers, we had programmers, we had artists, and it was already kind of the same thing, but without the lead aspect. So like um, as pitcher, I had to make everyone see the ID and we all build upon that uh, without um, without you know without specially leading the thing and as for the the commercial project it was a lot more involved uh, because we had a lot more people you know involved and a lot more time as well so there was a lot less of uh, let's do whatever we can in the time we, we have it's a lot more of um where do we go where do we want to reach what do we want to have to reach that what do we need uh what would be good to have and things like that mm -hmm. and now a lot of our listeners some of even we know we have a lot of college listeners tuning in so everyone has some sort of understanding about like what a student project is whether you know in this case like a kind of culmination of your of your studies and a big you know graduate thesis if you will but in terms of a student project as a game, what are the parameters for that? Are there like, what is the 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 qualifications they ask for from the game that you then need to meet, and and how how wide are they? How like creative can you get with what that student project can be? Because as we saw with Lee Fonga, you all got quite creative. You won ultimately um, the, the the grand prize that year, correct? Yeah, yeah, we won the, the prize of the school. We won the the Pegas, which is a, a prize in France for uh, for the student projects. It's one we got. We also got uh, most uh, uh, best student project in the big festival in Brazil. So yeah, yeah, people liked it. How <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, the scope that we had for the student project is it's mainly at, at uh, each school does it differently uh, but at Isart um, we have a few months at the beginning of the year to prepare the pitch uh, but I took a big advance on that because I started the previous year <laughs> so it was quite already quite some time of work uh, went into it um, and once we have the pitch selected because there's a lot of people uh, presenting pitches uh, we have to build a team and once we have Build the team. It's uh, we have uh, roughly, it's a little less than nine months uh, of wow. part time work um, to 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 make a roughly fifteen to twenty minutes of uh, gameplay uh, at the end. And other than that, the only directive is stick to your pitch and make it good. And then, so I guess to color the perspective between the the original student version and now the full version how many people worked on the student version and how many people worked on the version that's out now on steam and epic game store yeah so on the student version we were 13 people uh at part time and on this version we were between uh, seven full time at the very beginning uh, up to 22 23 uh full time in the middle and down to a little less of uh, than 20 uh, near the end, but with lots of external partners, you know, uh, art help, uh, QA testing help, and uh, some programming help, um, you know, um, I don't know how you would say in English, but uh, consultant, uh, mm -hmm. advisors, yeah, advisors, um, and uh, 
a lot of people just you know uh, getting in, giving us feedback uh, in certain aspects, uh, some some help in certain domains and living. So that's why at the end we have around two hundred people in the credits. So starting with that, the the part time group for the student project in that pitch that you mentioned. Uh, what we see and, and recognize is like the foundations of Lee Swanka now, the, 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 the action combat, the time reversal mechanic, teaming up with past versions of yourself. Was that always the, the pitch for their game or was there anything that changed in those, in that initial pitch process? Um, once I presented the pitch to the professors, no, it, it always stayed the same and it always stays that. Uh, but before that, yeah, the pitch went into a lot of funny ways. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, once I, I presented it, it, it always stayed and we kept the exact same pitch for this project and the student project. We just, you know, we, we became from, uh, we started again from scratch um, because a student project made in roughly four months of active time um, by students at the end of their studies, it, it's not a good base to make a commercial game. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, you, you can guess, but it, it was holding with a lot of prayers. Uh, so we had to, to start uh, fresh and thank God we did because we made a much stronger base and now we have uh, roughly 10 to 20, 30 hours of gameplay you can push if you really want to complete the game and we're really proud of it. Yeah, as you should be. And, and so between the transition from student game to full project, um, what was was that was there a certain moment that you realized that there was a seed here that you could expand upon and to make a full commercial product? Was that did that come from conversations with people already in this industry encouraging you to see it to its full potential? Uh, how did that come about? Um, there was always you know, some possibility because uh, it, it happened that some other end of study projects uh, were turned into commercial games by uh, some groups of students before, uh, but they never had uh, an editor. So it was a, a kind of an unexpected thing, and which is also one of the reasons why uh, as soon as Fablu Games contacted us, because they were a part of the jury for the student project mm. at Izzard. So we met them pretty early on uh, during the production of, of the student project. So there was always this idea uh, in our heads. Um, but it wasn't the main drive. The, the main drive was making a game we wanted to be proud of. And I think that's what mattered uh, most in the end. Yeah. So, so tell me about the, the, the team that um, made the, the original version. How uh, are any of them still working with you on the now released version of, of the game as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, we kept, uh, of course, me as the same role as game designer on, on sort of pitcher, you know, leading the team. Uh, we kept uh, Luca Farsina as our lead uh, programmer, and we kept uh, Alexia Lou as our main, uh, you know, um, sorry, uh, art uh, art direction, uh, you know, um, art lead. And we also had uh, other people that stayed. We had uh, Marin Rivera, who stayed uh, as a programmer, and we had also uh, Daphne Delof. Sorry, I was trying to remember her last name. I forgot her last name, <laughs> who stayed with us uh, for producing the project. And, and the others of the team, um, you know, they, they had good uh, job proposals at the end of the studies. So, uh, not uh, that's why not all of us uh, stayed uh, in this in this endeavor because it was risky. And if you have a, a, a job offer at a big studio, it's 
like yeah you probably should take that you're just out of school so uh, it's fine everyone did uh, what they wanted to do and everything worked out yeah i i can't imagine and i mean again like i'm sure that the leap um even given like the positive reception you had from the jury and and your partners like i'm sure was still very scary <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's quite a big leap. Um, it, it, it was even, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, lowered a bit because uh, our editor uh, created the studio and not us. So it was uh, a simpler uh, journey than it could have been. Mm. And then, so forming this, the team of students, if you will, to to make the original version of the game, uh were these were these friends of yours like how did you go about like each of you all coming together and recruiting who were was going to fill each role and was there any difficulty getting everybody on board for this very ambitious idea um at the time the, the idea wasn't that ambitious because doing 20 minutes of gameplay you can you know it's it's doable we know it's doable so it was more of like um finding people who liked the id who liked the genre of the game uh, and that's how we pretty much came together um lots of members in the team knew each other uh but it wasn't one big group you know it was uh, two people who know each other two other people three other people here etc and i think that's one of the main reasons everything went smooth because we learned to to know each other as the project went along uh, for uh, the majority and it helped a lot and it's pretty much happened the same way for uh, recruiting people after uh, because most of the people we recruited were from our uh, you know our year uh, but for other student projects so we knew them but at the same time we didn't knew them a lot so it was a good base to begin working on something mm -hmm. and then so Looking at the game and, and what has changed versus stayed the same, uh, t tell us about the name. Where, where does the name Lisfanga come from? Ah, uh, yeah, that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, the project, the student project, was codenamed Remnant. Uh, because it's it's the name of the mechanic, uh, but you know they, they, there's some other little uh, indie game with no budget that's called Remnant. So we we <laughs> we, we had to pick something else, uh, <laughs> and we found tight uh, knowing that we we continued the game. We yeah, it was a good choice to change. Um, so we spent a, a good evening, uh, you know, brainstorming ideas, and it came down to to this. Uh, it's it's a deformation of a German word meaning uh, bringer of light. And we really liked this idea. Uh, in the student project, the Lisfanger was an item that you were supposed to protect and retrieve. And uh, in the commercial game, it's a title given to Ime. So then, in the transition from the student game to the commercial game, uh, Sandor Studio came about. Um, that you know is the name of the studio that you're a part of and has released it. Where does the name of that studio come from? Um. It's, you know, kind of the same thing. We, we just, we, we pulled ourselves together and tried to find an idea that would represent, um, you know, something kind of um, mysterious, interesting. You know, you, it, it was this idea that if you find this sort of uh, dolmen in the desert, you would want to know why it's here, what it's doing, mm. uh, who built it. <laughs> sort of this, this, this type of questions. And we were like, yeah, that's fine. Let's go with this. Yeah, it creates a, a nice sense of intrigue uh, as the, you know, these fungus setting itself does. So then, you you mentioned like you had you had a good 
foundation or at least good ideas um, with the student project, but wanted to start over, build a new foundation for this full version of the game. What what did that look like? What was the the ideation process of figuring out what a full version of Lisvanka would be? Um, it, it went through many many different versions. Um, it's one of the things I, I said in the in the masterclass we did uh, yesterday. Uh, we redid the beginning of the game uh, three times. Wow! Uh, like three times from scratch, keeping nothing but uh, the monsters and the characters. And it, it, you know, uh, in game, in games, you you always you, you make it up as you go along, pretty much. You try, you try, you try, and when it works, you try the next thing, and that that's how you build uh, something that works. Uh, you try your ideas, you try them out, and you keep what works, and you keep on building on that. Uh, always keeping, you know that goal in mind you you know where mm -hmm. you want to go and you're trying to find how you're getting there in, in the middle so tell us a little bit more about finding that beginning what what did you iterate on what didn't work about the original beginnings that then you found in the the final version of it it's a lot about um, discovering the mechanic. You know, uh, we have such a unique mechanic in this type of game—a unique blend of uh, actions that we are uh, asking the player to do—that uh, we really have to make sure that you understand it before going further along. And the main um, things we rebuild the onboarding for—that's what we call the beginning of the game. Uh, it's uh, the first ones were always too fast. Uh, we went really really quickly in harder arenas and it was pretty overwhelming so with this new beginning we took a, a lot a slower pace you know discovering things uh, one at a time reminding you what you just saw doing maybe sometimes no discovery just another arrangement of things and i, I think it, it helps a lot you know getting in the groove of, of the game um in, in a in a way we we had to to look a lot at how portal uh, did it um because it, it was sort of the same uh, you know paradigm change between this game and the others that came before in in the genre uh, in portal you had to you know the, the famous phrase think with portals and here you have to think in four dimensions you have to think with your <laughs> remnants and that's pretty taxing to do uh, at the beginning it's not something you you do naturally uh, it's something that can get up to tens of hours to to really get into it to really uh, know instinctively oh yeah i'm going to go there first there second etc without mm -hmm. you know really posing yourself to think about it. Uh, we saw people uh, doing, uh, you know, maps on screenshots. Uh, we saw all, all type of stuff to, you know, get to learn this because it's really not something you do because you don't play with clones of yourself uh, at all in <laughs> most other games. So that that's not something you you can already bring to, to the table when you get into this game. You really have to learn how it works. Yeah. It makes sense that designing that learning curve um, was a tough nut to crack. Portal's a great example. Um, reading about puzzle design and, and the makings of it is, is something that really fascinates me. Uh, I, I kind of got an interesting look at it. Like I had to play the game a bit before it launched, and I played the first thirty or so minutes and thought I was doing quite well. I, I was I was beating the like the the speed run time goals and just to give like a taste of how the game evolves and progresses i was uh jumped 
forward a couple chapters into act two and I was just getting my ass kicked and you know sure like that that's how it works like in a game if you're you know jump too far ahead but part of it was I hadn't learned the mechanics and way to go to tackle certain enemies that the game very smartly parses out and and that's not an easy balance to strike because it can be too boring it can be too slow the mechanics can be too slow to introduce and and now having played the full version of the game like it wastes no time getting you in and introducing each things but it never feels too overwhelming at once was this did this happen through a lot of qa testing i imagine like what was you know finding that balance like yeah, it, it all came true by learning how to do it with, with the onboarding. And once we learned how this worked, we were able to you know uh, export it to the rest of the game. Um, the main problem of the game is routing. And mm. that's something you you mostly see in speedrunning, but that's not something you you sort of, you know, you, you do yourself when you're playing a game. That's not something you, you do instinctively because you're not limited by anything when you play most games you know you can do whatever and go check uh, the other things later and uh, routing is not something uh, people tend to do naturally so it's a really big gap between people that already do it and people that never did it and that's why you know some people can get the mechanic and understand um, the way to think with the remnants really really fast and some other people, it's just not going to click for a long time. And it, just because you never really were confronted to it before, it's it's really a complicated thing to to teach someone because uh, in order to enjoy the game, you, you, you have to know how it works. And that's why we, we really put a lot of effort into really uh, distilling a lot of elements throughout the campaign. Mm. The, the teaching of the speedrunning is interesting because you're right. That's just not a a muscle that necessarily a, a lot of, of gamers flex all the time. Are you yourself interested in speedrunning? Was this, you know, experience or a passion that you wanted to bring into the game yourself or something you had to learn too? Oh, I'm too bad to speedrun myself, but uh, <laughs> I, I know people that do. I watch a lot of them. And yeah, it's really, really interesting to you know push things to their limit. And it's, it's always a good thing, you know, as a game designer, when you're designing something, you have to think about the limits of what you're making. Um, if you're making something, you have to think about, uh, but what if uh, my player doesn't want to do it and just ignores it, or uh, you know, is going to uh, climb up the walls and try to go uh, uh, outside of bounds. And it's really something you, you have to learn to keep in mind always if you want your games to, to be good. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned in expanding upon just the, the 20 to 30 minutes of the student version into this full version now. Uh, what other what were the, the foundations you brought in? Because expanding something of that length to something, depending on your skill level, can take like seven to 10 hours uh, in the full version. For me, it, it, it's looking like it's probably going to be around nine. Um, like what were the the pillars that you wanted to achieve and, and made sure were maintained throughout a much longer course of you know these action and mechanics um th there wasn't a lot uh the first one of course was the remnants 
the second one was that there had to be um, you know good movement, good uh, good action, good uh, moving the character has to feel good. And after that, it's uh, making engaging enemies that use the remnants and making engaging level design that use the remnants and everything else. Um, we made up. We I mean we created again for uh, this project. Um, if people that played the student project uh, will recognize uh, one level uh, that we literally took from the student project and <laughs> put back <laughs> because it was a great level. Um, it's uh, it's level one ten if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's one ten, and we called it deja vu because you know some people <laughs> might know already know this one. <laughs> That's good. That's good. What uh? So bringing especially. Like you said, many of the team members from the student project went on to make the now commercial version. What learnings did you bring from that to the commercial version? And what things were you not prepared for? Did you have to learn um, out of school? Uh, well, we learned almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> because making project in school teaches you to make project in school uh, <laughs> it doesn't yes. teach you to make commercial games <laughs> and it can't teach you to make pro commercial games um, because you're not handling money you're not handling uh, mm. publishing it you're not handling external help and that's all things you have to learn by doing uh, so it was a really really steep learning curve um, with a lot of things that you really should have not started by doing this, <laughs> which is something we we learned as, as we went. But in, in the end, it worked out, so it's fine. But yeah, there's a lot of things that you cannot um, even begin to see how hard it's going to be until you're knee deep into it. What were those like? Do you have any examples of some of those challenges that? you had to learn how to overcome in addition to the things that you named like marketing and publishing and, and, and just the money of making a game. Um, yeah, well, you know, things like optimization, um, making a lot of content with as, as fast as possible, because in a student project, you're not supposed to make longer than 15, 20 minutes. So it's almost always going to be fine, whatever you do. And it's, really harder to make something last for eight, 10 hours without being repetitive. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of complicated things. Like, uh, as I say, um, for instance, uh, with uh, art assets, uh, we had a lot of trouble with uh, optim optimizing, making sure that it's both pretty and runs well. <laughs> So mm. it, that's not things you, you tend to have uh, with student projects because uh, as they are small, uh, they tend to not take a lot of resources because they're not too much to render, to calculate, and things like that. But in a big game, it's, it gets big really fast. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So many good threads to pull out there. I'll start with the, the art and the assets. Uh, just from a, a complete, like, you know, I, I the, the most technical thing I've ever done is, is built my PC. Nothing more than that. <laughs> um, and, and learn a little bit of HTML. So with that very little experience bringing in, like, Making a game like this work, having you team up with past versions of yourself and each of them, you know, you, they have special abilities and ultimate abilities. Was was that a, a, a nightmare to like make work? Did, what did the coding entail or like from a, a, a realizing the design in form of gameplay? Was that 
tough or was it easier than others might think or me might think? <laughs> I mean, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> so that, <laughs> there that's you go. Much, yeah, that's pretty much the answer. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's very, very hard. Uh, you have uh, obstacles every single step of the way, and it's it's, it's really uh, quite a journey, you know, to to get to something that feels good. And it, you know, it, we're pretty. We're pretty thankful of all the help we got. Uh, people who helped us test the game, give us, you know, advice and helped us see things we couldn't see. Because that that's also a, an important point. Like when you are making your thing, you tend to, you know, um, subconsciously avoid the problems of your thing because you you don't see them anymore. You learn to work around them. And one of the big problems we had in the student project that we completely uh, were blind to uh, was um, in the student project, if you play it, you can notice that the enemies always react to what's happening in the present. So what happens is that if you go near them uh, you know, faster than your remnant will, they're going to move and your remnant are going to hit nothing. And that was a big feeling that, um, you know, of making a card castle and one single mm. misstep and every monster goes away, they don't die anymore and it's, it's lost. And that was a big thing to, to, to find because uh, we were not seeing it. Uh, we knew uh, when playing it without saying it that we had once we did something we had to go there after that remnant or it's going to you know move everything and be bad so that's not something we we saw um but at the same time it was one of the things that kept the challenge in interesting so that's something we brought back as a modifier in some of the harder levels mm. for when you you've between some part of the game already, um, but it's not something we could have kept for the main game because it was uh, way too much uh, stress for every level, every time. Yeah, and that's the testament of the game that I didn't even clock the difficulty in in making something like that. Like the, the, the game's mechanics and the powers and, and learning it, again, testament to like refining the beginning and the tutorialization of the game makes it look so easy that I didn't even realize, you know, early on it tells you that, um, you know, if you're playing as a, a remnant and, and you don't, as long as you don't mess with one of the enemies you've already killed, they will, you know, uh, be handled by one of your past remnants. But if you interfere, they're going to then, um, you're going to have to deal with them in your, in your present form. And I, <laughs> from an AI coding and, and game memory perspective, I can't imagine how hard that was to tackle, but it all ended up working out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty complicated, but all it boils down to is uh, when you kill something, they have a skull on the head. And if the skull is gone, you have to kill it. Yep, <laughs> you there you go. <laughs> uh, but if the skull is there, you're pretty good. Uh, unless you do something really crazy, uh, they, they, they will die. Um, and that's something you you can count on. It's something we worked really hard to make sure that it didn't break. Um, so when you see skulls on, on some guys, you don't have to attack them anymore. Um, but we, we, we really wanted it to be visible. So when you break it, you know it's broken. The skull is not is not here. It's, it's instantly gone, and that's um, really one of, of the main points that make this work. I think because it, it's all about uh, letting you know 
as much as possible because you could figure it out uh, that, oh, I went earlier and that's why he moved. But if something that was there is missing, it's a lot easier to see. It's a lot easier to understand. Mm -hmm. Another thing you mentioned when talking about the the challenges you overcame making the full version of this was making it a full version of it um, from 15 to 20 minutes as a student project to something that's, you know, eight to 10 hours. I'm always curious, especially with a game that in in some forms is, is a puzzle game, how to creatively iterate and build on it in a way that uh, is sustainable. Like, again, like looking at Portal as an example, like the first game is just a couple hours and it's just as impressive that they were able to find new ways to iterate on those mechanics and introduce new ones with Portal 2. What was your team's system for coming up with new scenarios and circumstances to test and make people flex their combat and puzzle solving skills in new ways? Um, I think it, it was a mix mostly uh, of uh, creating enemies that behave differently, uh, maps that play differently, and powers that give you different abilities. That, that's why one of the guiding principles behind all spells is that each spell should allow you to do something that you can't do by default. Uh, the first spell grabs enemies toward you, the second spell gives you a ranged attack, the, the third spell uh, allows you to stun enemies for a long time, and that's sort of uh, how we designed every single power. They, they, they have to give you a tool that you don't have by default, and that's how we we keep everything uh, you know relevant because some tools will be great in some levels uh, garbage in others and you really have to figure it out as you go and 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 that's uh, that goes back to one of the main points of the game I was mentioning before it's routing uh, it's really all about your strategy uh, when you're trying to make a time in this finger, you can be really bad uh, at video games uh, like me and uh, with god routing you can do a good time and that's one of the main things i wanted to bring uh, to to this game uh, it's you know it's you always have what you need you just have to figure it out you don't mm -hmm. have to go kill more monsters you don't have to farm more xp you don't have to farm more loot that's not this type of game yeah, that's a really refreshing uh, change of pace. One thing I like about it is the the contained nature of it and that like the solution is there for you. Uh, you're in the room and you have the tools you need to solve it. You don't need to. You didn't miss something along the way that has now made this harder. Um, I do appreciate that being a pillar of the game from the start. Was there ever discussion about it being elsewhere about like or or the inverse of that of of making people grind or or search um for certain skills or abilities that would make the game easier um there was some notion of uh you know a currency to buy spells to buy things but it always boiled down to let's just give them and the the challenge of the game is figuring it out uh it's not figuring out how to get things it's figuring out uh how to beat the enemies so we didn't want it to have this um you know, this level of um, of outside an arena uh, doing stuff. Um, the, the main experience is really 
doing the arena in the best way you can. And a good example of that is a story time challenge. You know, in, in the story, you have a story time when you beat the arena. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't tell you what it is the first time you clear the arena. You have to finish it to know. And an important thing to know is that uh, you can get this time with the minimum amount of remnants you get if you uh, gather absolutely nothing and with whatever you have at this point in the story. And it's not going to be uh, very hard to do. We made sure that these times they were not really demanding um, because, you know, it, it's, it's an... It's a way to encourage uh, people to try it because, um, for instance, uh, if we tell you that oh, the best time for this level is five seconds and when you did it, you did 45 seconds, you're not going to want to try it at all. Uh, but if you did 45 and we tell you uh, try to beat 35, that's something maybe you feel you can do. And it, we, we saw that that's really what kept people trying to do them um, uh, in the streams we, we already saw. And we really feel that it was an important uh, decision to, to have that. One other aspect of the game you talked about when, when figuring out how to expand upon the original ideas of the student project was mass, like vastly expanding the number of enemies and creatures that you're fighting in the game, which are also tied to the mechanics. There's some that you, you need to time your, your remnants to kill them at the same time in order for them both to be vanquished. And what was that? Like, how did the team come up with the ideas for these monsters and then design them so often, you know, you see in action games, enemies that just look cool but here they not just have to look cool they also have to communicate um a mechanic or a solution that has to be you know accomplished in order for them to be defeated um so it, it was all about um what challenges do we want people to to do uh for example the the twins their challenge of timing you have to kill them at the same time in two different timelines um the guardian you have to work together on the same thing at the same time in order to kill it um the geckos that you get in the later act you have to uh get to it first and then get to its resting point after so it's uh uh, a variant on the get at two places at the same time, but it's not at the same time this time. You have to go there first and there second. And other type of enemies, they provide you, you know, combat challenge like the, the soldiers. They, they're really some of the harder enemies to get one-on-one -on -one with. But as soon as you bring two remnants to deal with them, they melt in seconds. And other enemies are tools, like the, the bomb wings, they're, they're, they're tools. Uh, they can be dangerous at first, but you quickly learn that they're a tool to help you. And then when you see a bomb wing, it's not how, uh, how I'm going to kill it, it's how I'm going to use it the best. And, you know, all, all enemies have sort of little quirks like that. Yeah, it's fun getting to discover, you know, oftentimes you sometimes see them first before you realize that in the game, then it helps you learn what or how to use them. Um, so that's always just a fun little eureka moment when playing the game. Yeah, and we, we teach pretty directly how to deal with some enemies. And for others, you really have to either figure it out yourself or go read about it in, in the codex. Yeah. So before we transition to kind of like the a few final questions we have high level about the game and its launch, uh, was there any other stories or anecdotes about the making of the game or 
the the course of developing the full commercial version of it that you wanted to share? Oh man, um, there's a lot. Uh, I I don't think I can pick something specific, but for instance, I can tell you that uh, I mentioned before that one of the levels uh, in the onboarding arena uh, area was directly taken from the student project, and there's also another Easter egg from the from the student project somewhere in in this same onboarding <laughs> zone. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. I let people find it eventually. Um, I know the student project team had fun finding it because they they they, they saw it, <laughs> so it was pretty fun. Um, what else uh, can I say? Um, that's cool. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I can't pick one single thing. <laughs> um, the, it, it, one thing that I really liked was um, seeing people in, in in the chats of the stream, seeing the inspirations. You know, you, you mentioned Neon White. Uh, you, uh, one I will mention also is Doom, because in Doom, mm. you have the same type of strategizing how you're going to deal with arenas. You know, uh, do you deal with the big guy at the back first? Do you keep the small guys alive so you can have health refills? And it's sort of the same level design dynamic we put into this finger. Um, so yeah, that I mean, that's a that's a yeah, great. There's a lot of funny stories about the game. I, I can't. I can't. Sure. I should have noted some. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're okay. It was a very broad question. Doom is a great comp, though. I I because my brain often thinks in genres uh, when playing games. I hadn't really even likened them, but you're you're so right. I even think about the the way I'm I'm managing an arena in that game with the different which creatures I want to avoid first, which ones I'm slowly whittling down as I'm taking out others and and that sort of as, as it throughout often in the lead up to that game, combat chess in a way is also yeah. what you're doing in Lisfanga, just in a different way. Yeah, exactly. It's a puzzle game, not about figuring out a solution to something. It's a puzzle game about killing everything in yeah. the time you're given. <laughs> and that's one of the main ways I think this is interesting because in puzzle games, you tend to always have one solution and it's about finding out the solution that the game designers want you to, to find. And in Lisfanga, it's all about making your own solution. You know, it's sort of uh, what uh, Baba is you managed to do. It's uh, giving the players a lot of systems and you have to figure it out. And there's many, many, many ways to finish each level in Baba is you. And it's sort of the same idea we had here. It's uh, each level can be finished in many ways, which is why uh, for a lot of levels, uh, you will have, you, you will really find a lot of paths you can do. And as soon as you start experimenting with some of the spells, you will find a lot more paths you can take. Um, for instance, in the um, in the sponsored streams for the games, uh, you know, the Lisfanga Nation Brawl, uh, we we gave the streamers the objective to do the best time in one arena. It's uh, 1-27. And this arena is great because it has a lot of paths you can take. And at the same time, it's very, uh, it forces you to think, you know, with the, the binary doors. And you have a lot of tools to use. You have a lot of bone wings. You have um, enemies that are really placed at different uh, are uh, areas. You have... Uh, and we give you all this we give them all the spells so that they can really create a new path and we saw during the first streams that they really tried a lot of different things before figuring out oh yeah this this is really the fastest way and even in the last two days they figured out another passive to use to go even faster and change slightly the route so that's really 
that that's really the, the great experience we really wanted to to bring with the game. It's this type of replayability. That makes me want to ask whether it's in the QA or now in the launch and watching streamers play it. Like, are there any specific examples of, of gameplay styles or solutions that players have have found that have surprised you or the team? Oh, I, I didn't realize they could do this, or I didn't think people would figure out how to tackle this arena in this way. Yeah, uh, always, and it was the goal. You know, we when we made the spells, we really wanted them to be uh, the spells and the runes. We really wanted them to be tools that really allow you to break the game, uh, because if you can't break the game it's not funny uh, <laughs> you really have to figure out how to break it and for instance on, on the buses for instance um, we always had trouble uh, uh, doing the, the really challenging times uh, you know for the figments of battle mode and nearly the end of the production uh, one of our artists began using a rune that we were not using to test on the bus and he beat every one of us by like one or two minutes and we were wow. stunned <laughs> <laughs> but he played very differently and it was really efficient and we didn't think about it before because we were you know stuck in our ways using always the same one because we liked it and he just used something else and absolutely dumped us dumpstered us <laughs> and that's really one of the things uh that that's really fun with speedrunning in general, you know. Uh, people are really, really battling for uh, the world record with one route, and then some random guy uh, who has been looking at this for months just figures out something faster that does absolutely something very crazy, like something never, nobody thought about before or only theorized was possible but didn't, you know, manage to, to figure it out. And that's really something really great you know um for the person that finds it and we wanted really to have this experience as much as possible and that's why each arena is separated that's why each arena has its own score that's why each arena can be replayed uh, independently and you know everything that goes with it yeah it's it's fun to just go through the game itself, but it's also fun to then go back and try to beat your times and, and take on the harder you know, optional challenges that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tibo, given, you know, the awesome story, I hope everybody like listening has gotten as much of a kick as I have watching this game um, now released and, and learning the story of how it started as a student project to now a, a full version of it. Your, your story is so cool and for the you know aspiring game developers and, and people in the industry listen listening, what advice you know would you share for them looking into getting into game design themselves? Just do it, you know. Uh, it's never been this easy to make something. Uh, lots. Shut up, you. <laughs> <laughs> Meat is bothering me. Um, yeah. Uh, it's never been this easy to make something, you know. Um, we had, you know, the portal editor, we had the Doom editors, we had uh, the Warcraft 3 editors, we had a lot of game with editors in the market. Uh, recently, you had the Mario Maker, and now you have Fortnite, Roblox, all those games that allow people with basically no knowledge of programming to make levels, make games, make experiences. And really, you just, just try it. Just try it. It's it's 
you you will find out pretty quick if you like it. So there's no reason to not try. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, I you mentioned the editors. Like, was there? I know those are really started proliferating in like the 2010s and you're even more popular now, like you said, with Roblox and Fortnite. Were there any examples of level editors that you really got into um, in your lead up to like becoming a full-time game designer? Um, not one in particular, but one I, I really played with a lot is the Warcraft 3 editor. And, mm. you know, it's one of the best examples because it created a whole genre, it created the MOBA genre. And I doubt that an editor would have had, uh, you know, the, would have taken the risk to create a MOBA by themselves. But because these guys created it uh, in their room and people played it, you know, that's how this came to be. And I, I still believe that despite the market being as full as it is, you can always find new things to do, new things to make, new genres to create. Mm -hmm. Just do it is is the best advice for almost anything, uh, at least that you're trying to learn. Uh, and, and in closing, having discussed Lise Vanga so much in full, and I highly recommend everyone go check it out. What would, you know, what do you hope people take away from, from playing Lise Vanga? Uh, whether it's some gameplay or story or just general experience wise. I want people to have fun, you know, playing it, uh, having the same fun I have, you know, finding new routes, finding better things to do with the powers. Um, you know, it, one of the best experiences we, we had in, in the studio was when everyone was uh, finally playing the, the final version and trying new things to go faster, to, to beat the levels in a, uh, in a, an even better ways, and that's that's really the, the peak of of the game for me, at least. Do you uh, what? What's your favorite spell in the game? Ooh, favorite <laughs> spell. <laughs> um, I, I guess it depends. Like, I, I really like uh, the grasping vortex, the one you start with, uh, because mm -hmm. it's it's a really you know practical tool that can pack multiple packs of enemies into one. I also really like the temporal beacon, the one that changes the spot you will begin your next loop. Yeah. I also really like the light speed one, the one that teleports you into an enemy. Mm. I also really like the purification one because at, it's always, you know, these spells, they always give you some ways to break the levels. Uh, the one that teleports you to an enemy, you can uh, go through walls, you can go up, you can uh, teleport yourself pretty far. Uh, the grasping vortex, you can really pack together enemies that were not supposed to be packed together. Um, and they, they all have something really pretty unique about them. And... A lot of arenas were designed with one specific spell in mind, but as we tried it, we figured, out, oh, this spell is going to break it too. And we were like, that's fine. People are going to find it. And it's always, you know, when you find a new way to exploit a game, you always feel great about yourself. And <laughs> it's something we really wanted people to 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 experience in this in this game if they try. Yeah, uh, part like you said earlier, part of the fun is is learning how to break it. Uh, and I also love just that mentality, like you said earlier about the, the spells of making sure that they give abilities that you can't do otherwise. Um, so often skill trees or unlockables and all that, uh, are just modifications or, uh, you know, 
boost your stats on things you already can do and they become overwhelming but this game it, it is really fun to learn the ins and outs of what each do and and really can like bend and break your brain in ways that you understand how you can solve these puzzles like with what you said especially that one that like allows you to change where you spawn yeah absolutely um we you know it's very important when you base the game on this that it's as easy as possible to switch you know between between different things and and that's really something we we pushed on because you can change your skills at any time when you're out of combat and that's something really important we wanted to to keep so you you don't feel uh you know oh man i i need to go back there i need to spend money i need to to respect my thing to to try something out no you can just click it try it and if you don't like it just or if it doesn't work just try something else and that's really something we really wanted at the core of, of the game, you know, not no friction as little as possible. No friction. I like that. Uh, well, to leave as little friction as possible for ending the show, one last question, Tivo, for you, for all of our listeners, hopefully now hopping into the game. Uh, what would do you have like a piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice for people first starting the game? Don't underestimate the strategy element. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a really, really big part of the game. And the best way to do better times and to do better as a game is just to take a step back, look at the arena, and figure out a new plan, figure out a new route. That's the main thing you can do, because even if you're bad at dealing with some enemies, like I said, you can just sandwich them with two remnants and they're going to melt. So <laughs> it's never really about um, you know mechanical skill. It's all about planning. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh Lee Svanga, the Timeshift Warrior, is available now on Steam and Epic Game Store. We'll link to all of that in the description. Thibaut, congrats on the game and the launch and seeing this Thank full you. version of the game realized. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. And uh, until next week, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you very much.